You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. So Lord God, we just we come and we surrender our hearts to you, Lord. We surrender our lives to you. We yield our right to understand you because we know in this place of really fully surrendering to all that you have for us, we'll find that we have revelation and true wisdom that comes from you. So God, we just surrender um, individually and corporately as a body here that we would, we would be yours fully, 100%, undivided, unshakable. We love you, Lord. In your son's name, amen. Oh 
the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. You're our living hope. 
your presence here even now more Holy Spirit 
Are you not calm, the spirit of counsel? We need your counsel. Are you not called the spirit of comfort? You are the comforter, and we need your comfort. You are also the spirit of the living God, the spirit of truth, and we need your truth. In the word, you are even called the spirit of Jesus. You are awesome. Thank you for your presence here. We love you, Holy Spirit. We declare our hearts of love before you. We acknowledge you as God, that you are part of that beautiful trinity, the fellowship of the burning heart of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are the very breath of God. We love you. I'm going to give you a quick testimony. A couple weeks ago, I was praying to the Lord about my relationship with my son. And in exasperation, because it's rocky, I said, change me, Lord, change me. And in that moment, I physically felt my heart that was hard move into softness. I not only felt it in my spirit, I felt it in my physically in my heart. In the past few weeks, I keep seeing a heart of flesh superimposed over the sanctuary. So I'm going to pray into that today. I think the Holy Spirit wants to do some wonderful things today and setting some hearts free. Every time I think of a heart of flesh, I think of the um, promises in Ezekiel where, where God says, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I'm going to clean you from all your filthiness and your idols, things we didn't even know we made idols. And I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I mean, what a beautiful promise. And I think that heart of flesh that I'm seeing is a gift from the Lord to the church. He wants our hearts free to worship, to pray, to live, and have, move, have our being in the Lord. So as we quiet our hearts even now and engage with you, Holy Spirit, I invite you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, come. I ask that you would give pictures. Speak a word, a name, an unction, a vision to each individual here this morning of some area in your heart that you want to touch and release. And you do this because you take out all that hinders love. You want nothing hindering our love for the Father, nothing hindering his love for us. Take out the strongholds. Maybe it's something you've held on to for 20, 30 years. It happened that long ago and you, and it's still there festering and it's become calloused let it go let the holy spirit touch that today he's powerful and he does this is what he loves to do he loves to transform our lives maybe it's a relationship a family member like me that you want to see move forward in peace because that's where I'm at with my son now, in a season of peace. 
man, I didn't know that hardness was there. Maybe it's somebody that you want to move forward with and the Holy Spirit will speak a name to you or give you a picture today. Come Holy Spirit. Or maybe it's something that the Lord is asking you to do and you have not been willing. And maybe that hardness of heart has been against him. I encourage you today to move into abandonment, not just yieldedness, not just surrender, but abandonment to embracing the Lord and what he has to do today. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Holy Spirit. I'd like to now pray over the offering. You know, we haven't been passing the baskets, Lord God, but we still, we are giving into bringing the tithe and the offering to the storehouse. Father, we thank you for this blessing. Giving my tithe is a blessing that you have given me to come in agreement with your heart as an act of worship, just like communion, just like covenants, just like Feast of Tabernacles, all these things that I get to engage with your heart over. I thank you, Lord God, for, for the tithe and the offering that's coming in. Lord, would you multiply it? Thank you for your provision and the incredible honor to see your kingdom furthered in the earth so that Jesus would be glorified. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. Paul says this in Galatians 1. You may be seated. Let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free. It's done. It's not something he's going to do. It's not something that's to come in the future. It is done. He has set us free. Paul goes on, not partially, but completely, wholly, and wonderfully free. We, that's what God has done. We, our response to that is we must always cherish this truth and stubbornly, how many of you can be stubborn? Yeah. Stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. That's what you've been freed from, the bondage of your past. That's what Patty was talking about. See, here's the thing. If you're not living in freedom, you're not living in fullness. And this morning, I think God wants to take those of us who are maybe kind of holding on or we're kind of in bondage to some of those things of our past. It may be fears, it may be worries, it may be stresses, it may be relationships, it may be a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And I believe what God wants to do here this morning is, is God wants to upgrade you, to take you from a place of bondage and he wants to bring you into a place of freedom this morning. Because it is for freedom. It's because he wants you free. 
That's why he set you free. If he didn't want you free, he wouldn't have set you free. But he set you free, and he did that through the cross. He set you free because he wants you free. He wants you living free. He wants you staying free. He wants you reigning free. And so this... Well, they finish. I wanted to share something that was stirring in my heart um, a couple days ago, seed time and harvest. We know a lot about that up here, seed time and harvest, and what that means to us. But what it means to Jesus sometimes is a lot different. He, he loves all seasons. And we've been through what I feel has been seed time. We've been planting our seeds of faith. We've been planting our seeds of trust. We've been planting our seeds of hope uh, that things will change again. And we're planting, we've been planting a lot of seeds, seeds of worship, seeds of prayer, faithfulness. They're all seeds. And now God says, decree and declare that it's harvest time. It's harvest time. When you Say it out loud with me. It's harvest time. Guess who hears that? Abba and the enemy. Because he's the one that's sowing his seeds of chaos and, you know, steal, kill, destroy. That's the seeds that he's sowing. So we decree and declare it's harvest time. It's time to reap. It's time to ingather and receive. And we we believe Friday night when we had our chop worship night, that was, we planted seeds of worship in the atmosphere over this city. Guess what we just reaped this, this morning? Harvest. We gathered from Friday night and God says, you worship me there and things happen. Now you can reap here too. So this is what he's doing in our lives, in your families. You have to see it. Lord, it is harvest time. You love all seasons, and this is a season that he just relishes. God just rejoices because he's a generous, lavish, loving, caring, affectionate, wonderful, beautiful God that is so longing to, he delights to give you the kingdom. He, he rejoices when he gets to heal you, when he gets to encourage you, when he gets to speak an intimate word, when he releases peace, when everything else is craziness. He loves it. He just delights to do it. So anyway, that was Friday night was like one of those nights again. We had a worship night at, at the house of prayer that was like, pow. It was amazing. And Mary has a, a testimony uh, that we want to share out of that night. Well, every other weekend, Dad and Sarah and I go out for breakfast. And while I was there, I got a phone call. Someone had been healed, and I, I was excited Friday night. Yeah, sorry. I was excited. My face showed it, okay? I was going, yeah, God. And the server came up to me and said, um, boy, you look happy and excited. Something good must have happened. And I said, oh, yes, it did. And I said, my husband and I lead River City House of Prayer. And on Friday night, we met for a meeting of worship and prayer. And she said, she was nodding. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. And I said, somebody got healed. And I told her what the somebody had been healed of. And her face 
was just shocked. She said, you know, I need more of that in my life. And I said, you can have it. So I showed her how to come into right relationship with the Lord. And I said, you're also invited to come. I got her email address. But I believe God timed all of that out perfectly. Be bold where you are. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where uh, he is the vine and we are the branches. And sometimes you plant a seed and it becomes a vine and it starts to reach in places that you didn't know that seed was going to touch. I just planted a seed and God says, okay, you know, and there it goes. You know, it just reached into and touched a, a waitress server with the good news of Jesus and gave her hope. So we're yet to be the house. We get to do the uh, missions focus, the house of prayer this, uh, this month, and it's been awesome. Thank you so much. I wanted to just share one thought on the house of prayer, and Jeff touched on something last message when he talked about the church age. We are in the church age right now. Re going to the kingdom age, this is transition time. Church age transitions into kingdom age, which transitions in its fullness into the millennial age, which is the fullness of Christ on the earth age, which releases the heavenly age, which is where the two come into fullness. So we're in the church age. And as he was saying that, and I said, and all of a sudden I realized this, you know where the church age got its beginnings? In a prayer meeting. The church age started in a prayer meeting. Jesus prophesied it when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then in uh, Acts 1, he gathered his disciples together and he, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the father had promised, which he said, you heard from you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then later on it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Then it goes on, and he says, It lists the disciples and the mother of Jesus were all there. It said, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. That's where the upper room, they were in this prayer meeting in this upper room, and Acts 2 happens. The power, presence of the Holy Spirit happens, and the great harvest of souls began. And I believe God is still doing new things through prayer. God is still birthing new things in prayer, like he brought forth the church age, like he's bringing forth this new thing. He is, he is birthing it. He's bringing forth new things in our family, if we'll ask. He's bringing forth new things in the house of prayer. He's bringing forth a lot of new things. Uh, I love what the passion says. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. So this is our part of our mandate, call of the house of prayer. 
gather those devoting ourselves to prayer, devoting ourselves to seeking his face, to worshiping him and making him welcome in this city. And we appreciate all your support. Uh, it's been, it just keeps, keeps the fire going. Don't you need it? Sometimes you get this holy, you, get, you know you got a fire in you. You just, you know, could you really use some help fanning that flame of fire? Could really use something. And then I get to come here. And then I get to share. And I'm like, going, all right, <laughs> fired up about prayer again, right? And so this is, this is what he's doing. So thank you so much for all the encouragement and the blessings. And if you want to give to our ministry, doers of the word, we appreciate it too. Thanks. Bye. Now am I on? There I am. Okay. Good. So we've been working our way through seven messages to seven churches that Jesus gave uh, to the disciple John, and we're kind of trying to get uh, to the uh, end here of his message to the church in Smyrna, and there's a lot there, uh, and we've talked about it kind of being a struggling, suffering church. I'm not going to go back and recap all of that. You can uh, get those messages uh, past messages online, but we've looked at the problems uh, that the church of Smyrna faced, and they were the problems of persecution, of poverty, of prison, of profanity, and even though they were a very poor, impoverished church materially, externally, Jesus kind of makes this um, kind of a, a statement uh, there in the midst of that. He says, but you are rich. And we talked about that last week, that uh, they were rich in the things of God, that they really abounded in the things of the Spirit. They were a, a really on-fire church. They were uh, just very, very rich in the fullness and in the things uh, of God. And so we left off last week talking about uh, the promise. So, so they kind of had their problems, and then Jesus kind of moves into uh, the promise um, there in verses 10 through 11. And he, and he says to them, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And we talked about the whole process, the reason for testing. And he said, you're going to have tribulation for 10 days. He says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Now, last week, again, we talked about that role of suffering, testing, and how God wants to use that, uh, not so that God can find out what's inside of us. He already knows what's inside of us, right? It's so you and I can discover what's inside of us. So when God is using testing, and maybe he's trying to uh, just, again, bring forth endurance in you, it's not to see how much endurance you had. God's not looking to see, well, how much endurance does Patty have? What he's doing it for is I want Patty to see really how much endurance she has. And, and what you're going to discover in, in, in testing is you're going to come out of that, and you're going to say, I had a whole lot more endurance than I ever thought. 
If God's trying to, trying to establish a foundation of peace, he may take you through a time of testing, of suffering, again, not so that he can see how much peace is in Charlisa, but so that Charlisa can see that in him, through him, by him, I have all the peace I need, and I can stand steadfast, faithful, and firm to him. So it's never for God to see, because he already knows what's inside of you, it's for you to see that greater is he that dwells in you than he that is in the world. It's to show you you're a whole lot bigger on the inside than anything on the outside. Amen? We also talked about the role of suffering, how God uses suffering, how he used it in the life of Jesus. I, I, as I was kind of in my office this morning, kind of preparing, I mean, God was just downloading stuff at me like crazy this morning, and I'm, I'm trying to write all of this down, and, and the one thing that I felt like the Spirit of the Lord wants me to communicate to you this morning is simply this. God does not, um, God does not have you uh, do suffering. God does not put suffering on you. He does it with you. Hear this, hear this. God does not put suffering on you. He goes through suffering with you. He does not put testing on you. He does testing with you. He does not put persecution on you. He does persecution with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's why when Jesus went into the wilderness, what happened first? The Spirit of the Lord came down upon him in, in the form of a dove. It represented the Holy Spirit. It filled him. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, the Scripture says. It went with him. Oftentimes, we see suffering, trials, tribulations, testing as kind of God just pushing us out there, and then God kind of retreats back just to kind of see what we're going to do, how we're going to handle it. Do we pass? Do we fail? No, 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 no. I will never leave you. I, you're going to go through this time of testing. I'm going to be with you. You're going to go through this time of trial. I'm going to go with you. You're going to go through this time of suffering. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you for a moment. Now, it may feel like that, but we don't walk by our feelings, do we? We walk by faith, and faith comes by hearing the word. So part of the process, the tools of sanctification, is God doesn't do suffering to you. He does it with you. Now, the other thing that's really interesting about testing is it is the shortcut to spiritual growth. Testing is the shortcut to breakthrough. God's not using testing so much as to break you down, but to build you up and to push you out, to take you further, to take you higher. That's why it says when Jesus returned to Galilee after the 40 days in the wilderness, what does the scripture say? It said he was filled with power by the Holy Spirit. 
There again, you see that, that testing, God used that testing, those 40 days, and it resulted in a huge breakthrough in Jesus. He goes forth in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to heal. He begins to speak with authority. The people marveled at what he said and what he did. Testing is also designed to establish, to solidify, and to uh, bring forth your identity of who you are in him and who he delights and longs to be in you. Testing, it, it's going to establish, it is going to solidify your identity it's going to confirm who you are in him and what he longs and delights to do in you. I don't know. I think some of you are, are getting ready for a time of testing. But be encouraged because, again, it's not something that he does to you. He's going to do it with you. Amen? Some of you are a little skittish on that. So I want to just kind of talk about the second, um, the second aspect of suffering there, and that's kind of the restraint of suffering. And there, uh, Jesus kind of says to this particular church in Smyrna that the devil is going to throw you in prison, and you're going to have tribulation uh, for 10 days. Now, those who are into biblical numerology, um, would point out that that number 10 there uh, it isn't specifically a literal 10 days. It may be, um, but there, in biblical numerology, that the number 10 kind of represents fullness or completeness. And so what he's saying there is, is that as you go into this prison, this time of testing, of suffering, there's going to be a limitation, Okay, it's not going to be, you know, he says 10 days so that it's not 10 years, um, but it, that it's, it's 10 days until the testing has its fullness, its completeness, when God has done what he needs to do in you, that that testing will end. So, so he's saying that this 10 days, there's going to be a starting point and there's going to be an ending point. And in that, there's going to be a completeness and a fullness in what God is doing uh, in that. And that tells us, again, and gives us assurance that God, uh, again, is absolutely sovereign over suffering. He's in control. At that breaking point, whatever come for you or I, we can be assured that God is going to break off the suffering. He's going to cut it off. And we see a great example of this when Jesus is speaking speaking about the tribulation there in Matthew chapter 24. Now listen to what he says. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time or ever shall be. And now listen to this. And unless those days were shortened, were cut off, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, for our sake, for his children's sake, those days will be shortened. And he's saying if, if, there, if, there, if it wasn't shortened, we would be destroyed. And again, testing, suffering, trial, tribulations, it is never ever designed to destroy you. 
And so if there ever comes a point to, to where uh, that, that suffering, that trial is, gonna, is going to destroy you, God is going to cut that short because that is not the purpose of that. So there is that restraint on suffering. There's that sovereignty of suffering. The third thing is that the reward of suffering. Now, it's interesting, again, that uh, John writes this letter to the angel of the church there in Smyrna. Now, that word um, angel, angelos in the Greek, it is the word messenger. Uh, many scholars translate that, that this was being written to the angel, to the messenger, to the pastor of that particular church. Now, that's very, very significant because the pastor of that church at the time was a man by the name of Polycarp, and he was a contemporary uh, of the uh, Apostle John. Now, the book of Martyrs kind of talks about when Polycarp was 86 years old, he was brought before the emperor for the purpose of worshiping Caesar, and we talked about that. Uh, how many moons ago did we talk about that? Remember, we talked about that really what they needed to do was that once a year they would come into the temple and they would, they would take a, a little bit of, uh, of, of dust and they would throw that in the flame and they would say, uh, Kaiser Kyrios, meaning Caesar is Lord. Uh, and that's all they had to do in order to pledge allegiance. And, and, and the people of Smyrna would not do that. To them, it's Christos. Kyrios, Jesus is Lord. And so Polycarp is brought there, and, and he is told, if you'll simply just, you know, say that, Kaiser Kyrios, Caesar is Lord, you'll be spared. And so you can imagine every saint in that church there in Smyrna is watching, what is our pastor going to do? What is this, this messenger, what is he going to do? It says in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, that Polycarp looked at the emperor and he said this, 80 and six years have I served him and he has never wronged me. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And they were so enraged at Polycarp's response that they immediately called for a stake and, and wood, and they were going to burn him at the stake right then and there in front of everyone as a warning. And so they came to him, they take him, and, and they start to bind him with ropes and chains. Do you know what his response was? Those aren't necessary. I will simply stand here. I will not deny my Lord. I will stand. There's no need to bind me to anything. He said, my God will protect me and go through the fire with me. Again, it comes back to that. God's not, God is not going to put suffering on you to do suffering. He's going to do suffering with you. And as those flames kind of began to grow around him, his last words were these, I thank thee that thou hast graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour that I may receive a portion in the number of thy martyrs in the cup of my Christ. Jesus said in verse 10, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. 
be faithful. He just says, remain in faithfulness. Be steadfast in faithfulness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It is a work. It is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So as we're going through times of testing and trials and tribulations, that fruit of the Spirit is at work in us, bringing forth, manifesting faithfulness, goodness, love, peace, joy, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control. I don't know if I got them all, but I got most of them. So he just said, when, when, when you just allow that fruit of the Spirit to just manifest, just remain steadfast, remain faithful, and I will give you the crown of life. I wrote a little note here uh, this morning as I was kind of studying this. What God will give you will always be greater than what is taken or given up. What God will give you will always be greater than anything than what is taken or given up. Death is temporal. Life in God is eternal. I'm so glad that Jesus said, be faithful unto death. Because if Jesus had said, be successful, and I'll give you a crown of life, some of us might not get a crown of life. If Jesus had said, be brilliant, and I'll give you the crown of life, a lot of us, including myself, wouldn't be smart enough to get it. If Jesus had said, be wealthy, many of us are too poor to afford it. But that's not what he said. Be faithful, remain faithful, be steadfast in faithfulness. And whatever you lose, whatever's taken, I'll make it up and more. I'll give you the crown of life. Interestingly, if you uh, study this out, you'll find that there are 26 eternal rewards that are given there just in Revelations 2 and 3. 26 different eternal rewards in just two chapters of the Bible. My hope is someday, if uh, Jesus doesn't come back and I don't retire before then, uh, we're going to talk about those because they're significant. They, they really are. They are motivators uh, for those of us, again, who, who uh, choose to just remain and to be steadfast um, in, in our faithfulness, in our, our witness, in our testimony, uh, in, in just, uh, again, just being surrendered fully to the life of Jesus in us. There are rewards um, for uh, that kind of faithfulness. And so uh, the crown of life there is mentioned in verse 10. That is just one of those 26 rewards. As a matter of fact, there are five, and I, I put those up on the screen. I'm not going to go through all of those, but I just want you to understand there's five different crowns um, that are part of those 26 eternal uh, rewards um, that we're going to receive. There's the crown of righteousness. There's the crown of glory, the everlasting crown. There's the soul winner's uh, 
crown, and then there is the crown of life. Now, again, part of the difficulty uh, that we have in really understanding crowns is we kind of, uh, uh, we're in a, a culture where we kind of uh, see uh, that, you know, crowns are kind of reserved for royalty. Uh, we don't really do crowns uh, here. They do crowns uh, a lot in England. But again, that word crown in the Greek is stephanos, and it, it kind of actually uh, translates into a, a reward or what they would call a laurel uh, wreath. And in the original Greek games, um, the winner of the sporting contest was awarded a stephanos. It was kind of a crown, but it was kind of made out of uh, leaves. Now, uh, it's interesting, um, and I'll get into that in, in a moment, uh, because uh, Paul kind of uses a word there uh, for the judgment, the, the word bima, and it was also something that was connected to uh, the uh, Greek Olympics uh, back then. So uh, the crowns mentioned there, again, represent a part of, of rewards, of, of benefits uh, that God is going to give us uh, for special particular acts or just, you know, perseverance uh, in the kingdom of God. And they're going to just be actual rewards that are given to believers uh, in the age uh, to come when, when Jesus again returns. And so um, I, I've taught on this before, but let me me just kind of say this again very, very quickly. There are going, there, the scriptures say, I, I think I've got a, a slide for um, that, is it, it basically says that, um, that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and that is true, believers and unbelievers. But I believe the scriptures very clearly teach that there, is a, there are different places, there are, are, are uh, different thrones, if you will, uh, for the believer, the unbeliever. So the scriptures talk about that we're all going to stand before the judgment uh, seat of Christ. Um, do, do I have that down there, Lori, somewhere? Okay, I don't. Um, anyway, so we're going to all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that word judgment seat in the Greek is the word bima. Now, in the, and we've seen this, if you've ever watched the Olympics, uh, you'll see that after the games are completed and they're about ready to award the, the medal winners, what they'll do is they'll have a platform up there, and there's a place for the gold, the silver, and the bronze. And so uh, the, the, uh, the, sil the gold medal is the highest, and then I think it goes the silver is second, uh, bronze is third. And so that is the idea of the judgment seat talked about there in Scripture, and it is, it is the seat of reward. Okay, so we're going to be standing kind of on that platform. We've won the gold, um, and we're standing there, um, and we're just waiting now for that metal to be placed over us. And, and so that's the idea is that, that God is going to come and, and that judgment isn't about whether you're saved or not. Okay, if you're born again now, that, that's not a, a place where God's going to decide whether it's, it's real or not. Um, if you're born again, you're born again. Uh, if you're in the kingdom, you're in the kingdom. Um, so this is a, a place to reward uh, you for uh, your works. Um, and so I know I've got this scripture um, 1 Corinthians 3.13. I, I, do I have that one? I'm trying to get through Smyrna here, so 
I'm skipping over some stuff. There he says, but on the judgment day, uh, and again, that's, that's that day of judgment for the believer. This is just for the believer. On the, day, on the judgment day, fire will be revealed will reveal what kind of work. Now, I, I want you to understand this. The fire comes upon the work, not the worker. So important to make that distinction there. The fire that God's going to bring is upon the works. It's upon the deed. It's not upon the worker. And he says that fire is going to reveal what kind of work each builder, each believer has done. The fire will show if a person's works, deeds have any value. If the work survives, and, and, and that is, the, it, it's, it's viewed as gold, silver, jewel, precious stones is, is how our good works, those works, uh, and, and it can be just simply giving a cold glass of water to a thirsty person. Okay, it can be as simple as that. And there are rewards and those, those acts of obedience, those acts of service, when we're, when we're serving one another out of love and compassion, uh, those are, those are going to be viewed as, as gold, um, silver, precious jewels. Okay, that builder will receive a reward. So again, you're on that, you're on the Olympic stand there, and, and you're there to receive your, your reward. Can you go back? To, I, there we go. But if the work is burned up, and again, they describe that as wood, hay, and stubble, says the builder will suffer great loss, and here's the important part of this the builder will be saved because he is saved. Okay, again, this is not a place to determine your salvation. That's already been taken care of uh, in your accepting of Jesus Christ. So the builder will be saved, but like someone barely uh, escaping through a wall of flame. So again, the fire's not going to touch you, but you are going to be smoking, okay? <laughs> so that is, that is the believer. The, 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 we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. That is for the believer. Now, there is another place in Revelation where it talks about the great white throne. That is completely different. And so I've got that one. I think that's Revelation 20. So, yeah, 20, 11 through 15. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and one sitting on it. There we are. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but no one found place to hide. I saw the dead. And again, these are unbelievers. These are people who are not saved. They have rejected the gift of God. The dead, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. The earth and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. 
And the lake of fire is the second death. Now, uh, the, the reason I've got that underlined there is because the second promise Jesus says, be faithful and I will give you the crown of life. And then he says also, to those who overcome, you will not be hurt by the second death. So if there's a second death, there's got to be a first death. And all of us know what the first death is. It's our physical death, right? It's when our body dies. And Hebrew says that we all die once and then comes what? The judgment. So there's going to be a judgment for the believer, a judgment for the unbeliever. We've already talked about the judgment for the believer. This is the judgment for the unbeliever. And so this is the second death, is that they are they're thrown into the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, Revelation 20, verse 6 and 21, 7 through 8, uh, kind of, again, refer to both destinies of both believers and unbelievers. And there it says, blessed are those who share in the first resurrection. What is that? Well, when Jesus was resurrected, you were resurrected with him. That's the first resurrection. You shared in his death. You shared in his, um, his uh, burial. Uh, you, you shared in uh, his resurrection. You share in his ascension. You share in being seated at the right hand of the Father with him, in him, he in you. Okay, that was the first uh, resurrection. So blessed, uh, blessed are those who share in the first resurrection for the second death. That's that being thrown into the lake of fire. Said holds no power over uh, them. Praise God. <laughs> but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand year, years. All who were victorious will inherit all these blessings. I will be their God. They will be my children. But... The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So the second death there again follows the first death, and that is again the death of the physical body, followed by the second death, which is eternal separation from God. So what Jesus does in there is, is he provides both rewards for the believer and a warning to unbelievers. That's the grace of God. That is the kindness of God is that he's giving unbelievers fair warning. So that pretty much wraps up um, the second message to the second church there in Smyrna. Praise God, we got out of the church of Smyrna. <laughs> Next week, we're going we're gonna, to uh, get started, and we're going to enter into uh, the third church, Jesus' third uh, message to the church of Pergamum. Let me invite the worship team back up here this morning. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you for a blessed morning this morning. Father, just sense your presence here this morning. We thank you, God, for all that you've done here this morning. And Father, we just recognize it's the start. It's, for some, it's a new beginning. It's a new way, God, that you're moving in their hearts and their lives this morning. And we just thank you for that. Father, I feel there are people that took ground 
higher ground here this morning, Father. We thank you for that. I feel that there were people here that were, were delivered here this morning, Father. We thank you, delivered from fear, uh, delivered from anxiety. I feel that there were people here that, that received uh, words, uh, prophetic words here this morning, Father God. And we're just excited to see, Father, how you work, how you uh, fulfill that, how you uh, use that to encourage, to strengthen, to edify them. So, Father, we just, again, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you, Father, that what you have begun here, you are not finished. So we thank you. We just want to surrender. We want to cooperate. We want to walk with you in this. We want to just be able to abide in your presence, to abide in your love, to abide in your grace and your mercy this morning. So, Father, again, we just ask, Lord, that you would just continue to watch over us, to keep us in that place of perfect peace this morning, throughout this day. And we just thank you that tomorrow, Father, when we wake up, Lord, that your mercies are going to be new. That the daily bread that you had for us today, there will be a fresh, a new batch of daily bread tomorrow, Father, that we can feast and fellowship with you. And so, Father, we just again thank you for this time, again, of just being in your presence, of fellowshipping here together, of worship and Father, again, we just thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. You guys can stand up if you want. We're going we're gonna to sing a song we've done a couple times here already. And uh, this song, I didn't mention this before, but this song was actually birthed from here about four years ago and written, um, written by the team here at this church. So that's kind of a fun, that's kind of a fun thing, but it's about revival and it's about saying yes to the Lord individually in our own hearts. And that's where our revival starts. That's where the awakening starts is that simple yes within your heart. So.
say yes to what you're doing here in this place and yes to what you're, you're doing in our community and what you're doing in our hearts. God, we want to be your hands and feet. We want to have eyes to see what you're doing so that we can follow in your path. Lord, I hear you saying, get out of my way. <laughs> get out of my way. And in that place, when we do, you swoop us in and we can follow behind you. You swoop us into what you're doing so that we can walk in your path and in your ways. We won't look to the left or the right, and we won't stand stubbornly in the way of what you're doing. No, God, we say yes to you right now for revival in our own hearts, awakening right now in our own hearts. Awake us, God. Awaken us to new things, things we've never even imagined that you would ask us and call us into. And, and God, I love that you empower us to say yes. It's even you that empowers us to do that. So we thank you, God, that you love us so much that you would call us into such a great time as this. And we love you. And all God's people said yes and amen. <laughs> Have a great week. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.